One out of every 11 Americans receive their health care through a community health center. These health centers serve more than 30 million patients in, 19, in 2021, a record number. So why is there such a struggle to keep funding going? What are the consequences if federal dollars stop or get cut? It's the how where we might have a difference of opinion. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of our movement is our diversity. And getting to that how, I believe strongly in being three things for every health center. We need to be the provider of choice, the employer of choice, and the partner of choice. These are the big questions facing Dr. Q. Reed, just a few months into his new role as the president and CEO of NAC, the National Association of Community Health Centers. Um, not only on Capitol Hill, but I'm gonna highlight this. This isn't just about Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. This is about us as a movement and about all the other stakeholders in the health ecosystem in making sure we have the resources to, to fund the staff of tomorrow, the, the workforce of tomorrow. This is Conversations on Healthcare. Well, Dr. Ree, welcome to Conversations on Healthcare. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so great to great see to you, and uh, thanks so much for taking time. You know, like to start off just about federal funding, and uh, you know, it's a chaotic situation. It looks like Congress, uh, the House at least, uh, took 20 plus days to figure out who the speaker was. We have a November 17th shutdown of the federal government. Um, tell us a little more about what NAC is doing to try to move the agenda forward, uh, given uh, not only those situations, but two wars. Uh, where they're trying to provide uh, funding, and I guess I should say, uh, uh, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Uh, but you know, it's a very complicated situation. What what are you doing to try to uh, make sure that health centers are receiving the resources they need? I I mean, thank you, Mark and and Margaret, for having me. And I I want to emphasize um, in my role as the CEO of NAC, and now being maybe 10, 11 weeks in. Um, I'm extremely impressed with the state of our movement. Uh, this is the 23rd health center that I visited. Um, I've had about 10 primary care association meetings and uh, more than maybe 10 visits on the Hill um, to address what you just was referencing, the importance of bipartisan funding for the community health center movement uh, and the recognition that uh, there are many people out in the field, as I talk to health centers, who are emphasizing the importance of funding and resources and the impact the current um, challenges have on recruitment, retention, and, and just in terms of the stability of, of the work that they do every day. And so uh, we at NAC have been focused on nonstop advocacy uh, on the Hill. Um, we, we, we recognize and appreciate the extraordinary uh, 60,000 plus advocates out in the field who are also advocating, whether they write, they call, or we've done fly-ins where um, folks are meeting face-to-face -face or virtually with uh, members of Congress and their staff to make sure people recognize the importance of this funding. Um, and I would say um, consistently in all of these meetings, I've heard uh, very strong support for community mm -hmm. health centers in a bipartisan way, which has been a core component of our movement since mm -hmm. its beginnings. 
bipartisan support for health centers. We have 41% that are in rural communities, the people we serve. We have 63, I think, percent who are minorities. The beauty of our movement is that we're all across the nation in over 15,000 locations. And um, pretty much every member of Congress knows and appreciates their local community health centers. And I think that's one of the secret sauce of uh, community health centers is that bipartisan support, uh, which the National Association of Community Health Centers has done such an excellent job of fostering along with health centers in their local districts and, as you mentioned, in frontier and rural communities as well as in urban environments. Mm -hmm. Well, we're members of NAC proud members of NAC for yep. uh, several decades now, so we want to welcome you uh, to your role as president and CEO of the National Association and all the great background that you bring with you to the role. Uh, the value of community health centers, the importance of the funding, you, you just very eloquently talked about how uh, both sides of the aisle, very well aware of it in Congress, but you get outside of Congress, I'm not so sure people know so much about what community health centers are, that they serve their 31 million people, that they're sources of uh, education and training for the next generation, also huge economic drivers in their communities. How do we get that word out more at a grassroots level and in the state house as well as the county house mm -hmm. and on Main Street with the businesses? Yeah, so I, I will tell you with my own personal experience, so nearly a little more than 20 years ago as a National Health Service Corps Scholar, as yep. an internist and a pediatrician working in the DC Baltimore area, uh, I could see clearly um, the recognition and appreciation of community health centers at a local level. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, first the patients whom we serve and those waiting rooms that are full. Um, I saw it in terms of the providers locally, um, whether it was you know George Washington University Hospital or Washington Hospital Center or Howard University Hospital, um, providers often think about the role we play. Mm -hmm. I also saw it a, at a payer level, mm -hmm. health plans often recognize and appreciate the role that health centers have. Um, policymakers, whether they be on a state capital or Capitol Hill, I think, um, also recognize that. Um, and I think, you know, different organizations and companies like EMR companies or pharma companies as we're partnering on 340B with mm -hmm. pharma on Im the importance of the role of health centers in serving their community. So on one hand, I would say that our movement is incredibly strong where people locally know their health centers, value their health centers. And I think the next chapter uh, of our movement, now that we're over 31 and a half million Americans right. served, over 300,000 employed, over 15,000 sites, is serving one in 11. In my opinion, the need out there based on broader metrics is one in three. There are over 100 million Americans who lack access to primary care. There are extraordinary disparities that impact rural, urban, frontier, and island communities. Mm -hmm. Um, and one in three Americans are below 200% of the poverty level, which is the target population right. that our health centers serve. So the next chapter of our movement will need us to look together in how we can achieve that goal in the next 20 years, as we have in the last 20 years, we've nearly tripled the number of people we've served. Yeah. To get to one in three Americans, from one in 11 to one in three, we're gonna have to work with all these diverse stakeholders 
and we're going to have to work together more closely than we ever have. That one in three is a powerful yeah. figure. I haven't thought of it that way. So, so and you're on this listening tour, and you're early in it, so uh, all these questions uh, will probably have uh, uh, see more light as you uh, learn more about, uh, though you're pretty well knowledgeable about the health center movement. As you think about putting the financing and this growth aside, what are the other maybe two challenges that the health center movement faces? Maybe just translate that, how does NAC uh, address those? Only so, two. No, no, so I mean, <laughs> well. to me, the NAC of today and the future is about serving the health centers mm -hmm. and all the stakeholders, like primary care associations, health center control yeah. networks, and having this recognition that um, we serve the health centers and the core of what we do is do what I'm doing now, listening, learning, mm -hmm. um, and asking for more connectedness and collaboration across all the diverse stakeholders in the movement. If we work together, together as 1,487 health centers, in my opinion, based on the broader system, the rest of the system wants to work with us. They want to help address health equity. They want to advance primary care and value-based care and values-based care. So uh, I think one of the biggest challenges we'll have in this next chapter is how do we work together? I emphasize with my leadership team, I love with the start with why, I talked about it at my, um, at my start at the CHI mm -hmm. in San Diego, right. I talked about the right. importance of starting with why, and I would suggest as I've looked at this movement and um, in some ways even more deeply reconnected with it by listening to 23 health centers and, 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 and 10 PCAs, we're all very consistent on our why. It's about mm -hmm. health equity, primary care, prevention. Um, it's about this purpose and mission. We're also connected on the what. We want alignment on the fact that we need to, more resources to serve more patients. Right. And there's more disparities that exist that have to be addressed. It's the how where we might have a difference of opinion. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of our movement is our diversity. And getting to that how, I believe strongly in being three things for every health center. We need to be the provider of choice, the employer of choice, and the partner of choice. Mm. And I do think um, each of those areas will require a lot of introspection as well as um, you know, broader awareness of how do we achieve that. Mm -hmm. um, in provider of choice, we focus on UDS, and I know we're going into UDS plus, mm -hmm. but in the world of value-based care, um, there are these HEDIS measures, there are STARS ratings, Medicaid, Medicare, managed, medic, you know, Medicaid managed care. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to take on risk mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to be leaders in value-based care. Um, and so to be the provider of choice will require us to come together with our broad expertise, our collective purpose for health equity and primary care and think differently than we have in the past, which in my opinion has been a bit more independent mm -hmm. than it has been collaborative and united. To be the employer of choice um, in an environment where there's a lot of competition for primary care, um, especially when people recognize in value-based care, you need primary care as the quarterback right. 
of advancing value-based care, um, whether it's CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, Amazon, with their investments in primary care, their interest in making a big impact in advancing primary care. I actually think there's room for all of us with the gap that we have, but the reality is I would like us to retain our workforce. Mm -hmm. And mission is a strong component of that, but we're gonna have to deliver more than mission to retain our workforce of today and the future mm -hmm. and the transdisciplinary teams that work. Um, so we need to be the employer of choice. Mm -hmm. And what will that special sauce be beyond mission to retain our workforce? I mean, a lot of folks who work in this movement, they don't only want to see patients. Not to say that there are people who want to do only that. Mm -hmm. They want to be a part of this broader movement right. of thinking about education, science, and research in other areas. Um, to be the partner of choice, I think you have to understand how the health system works, how the money and data flow, and you have to choose partners who have your same values and are willing to do a partnership with you for five, 10, 15 years. The same continuity that you have in primary care, you want continuity of partnerships. And you have to think about your strategies there that go beyond just partnerships with public sector, but it has to go into the nonprofit sector and the private sector. Well, I want to pick up a little bit on what you said about workforce. Uh, you're absolutely right about being the uh, employer of choice and retaining workforce. But we're also thinking about tomorrow's workforce. And I think pretty much our audience knows whether they're in healthcare or not healthcare. If you move to a new city and try and find a primary care provider that's available to see you now and not in six months, it's a challenge. We all got well familiar with the shortages of nurses around the country throughout the COVID uh, pandemic, and health centers are no exception. But I don't think most people know that health centers are also part of the solution around training the next generation of healthcare workers. Tell me what health centers are doing and what some of your priorities are around making sure that health centers also uh, participate as educational health centers, participate through the, the new GME programs. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. In building the pipeline of the future of our workforce, I believe strongly in health centers being the home for not only where care is delivered, but where the future clinicians and staff of tomorrow are, whether they be patients, like I saw in Skid Row, um, I saw um, um, Wesley Health Centers mm -hmm. with, with their CEO, Al, and heard from him how so many of his staff were former homeless patients who had then evolved into roles um, in, the, in the health center mm -hmm. that they manage. And the beauty of our movement, whether it's medical assistants, pharmacy technicians, um, dental assistants, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, pharmacists, doctors, is that we represent the people we serve. And the people who are in these settings, we should create a pipeline for them to serve in those same settings, whether they be in rural America, frontier America, urban America, or island communities. So um, the work we're doing on the Hill around teaching health centers, I mm -hmm. think is a key component yep. of that. The work we're doing in National Health Service Corps, that played a very important role for my ability to go to my parents and say, after all this investment of education and, and costs at multiple graduate schools and Yale undergrad, they're like, wait, you wanna work in primary care and understand, oh, well, I got a National Health Service Corps scholar. Uh -huh. That helped them yep. appreciate and know there's a value right that this country has in, in, in primary care and underserved communities. It helped them realize that they wouldn't have to be in debt mm -hmm. more 
um, as first generation immigrants um, for my education and I could, that my service led, you know, was valued. So, um, but the work you're doing here uh, at, um, uh, around, uh, you know, advanced practice mm -hmm. um, um, uh, providers, mm -hmm. the work you're doing with medical assistants, um, the work you're doing in science and education is extremely important. And what I've seen across the country is that health centers are innovating in those areas. But in my opinion, every health center should be a teaching health center. Mm -hmm. I think every health center should be a research health center. And we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. And that part of this movement will need us to evolve into understanding how we deliver those things. And I think uh, places like CHC Inc. and the work you're doing here has to be a model for the rest of the country, which I believe you're already demonstrating. Mm -hmm. But we've got to find ways to spread it more quickly mm -hmm. for our movement because the gaps are so significant. The need is so high, the one in three. And the literacy in these areas of research and education are not as strong mm -hmm. as you have here. Mm -hmm. And so how do we train, you know, how do we share that across the country? Um, the last comment I'll make, we just did NAC Innovation X. I love the framework of innovation in community health centers. And it had five X's related to this conference that we had, our inaugural conference, Innovation X. It talked about how health centers innovate. First, they explore a problem. So here you've explored sure. problems, you've... Lots of them. A lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> you've experimented with solutions. And as you've shared, there's sometimes the solutions don't work. Yeah. And you look at the evidence and say, this is not a good yeah. investment. Yeah. Then you excel. Once you see it's working, you want to make it better. You're not satisfied with just good enough. You want great. You want excellent. You want the best for the communities we serve. Then you expand and you say, we're going to not just do it at one site. Right. We're, you know, the average health center has 10 sites. We're going to expand it at other sites. And the last one is you exchange. The beauty of our movement that's, I think, different than, for example, the private sector mm -hmm. that often doesn't want to share its innovations. It kind of keeps it more proprietary. Our movement is all about exchanging across the country, across you know, health I centers. Think that's, I think that's very yeah. true. So yeah. those five things are really important, and those are things that we're going to have to deliver in this next chapter of community health centers. Well, that's that's such a great aspirational uh, focus, uh, and also building on that plan, do, study, act sort of model. Uh, really thinking about it. But uh, while you were going into the future with training, <laughs> let's just take a step back uh, and go over some of the ways that community health centers uh, helped during COVID, which I think was very important. Uh, very important role that we played. NAC points out that fewer people were infected with COVID or died from the virus uh, when a health center was nearby. And the centers provided a remarkable 22 million uh, vaccines. 72% of them were administered to people of color. But, you know, we've had a number of uh, leading authorities on the show, That's Eric right. Topol, Dr. Fauci, many others who said there are going to be more pandemics, as yeah, there have right. been. What do you think about the readiness uh, for us? And obviously we're thinking uh, day to day in terms of uh, primary care, but that public health role and leadership that we play in making sure that all of our communities uh, are ready to deal with what is bound to come our way, um, pandemics, what, what do you think we have to do in that arena? So I have a framework of we're all part of a public health system. Yeah. So, in, you know, uh, 
so when you look at our healthcare and our public health system, primary care community health centers are a core part of that. We demonstrated that during the pandemic. I think a big reason why we achieved those extraordinary numbers and were trusted by public, private, and nonprofit entities to deliver those 22 million vaccines was because of the trust we already had in our communities, because our workforce already represented the people we serve, because we were already culturally and linguistically concordant. And so we can't underestimate the power of, of, of kind of who we are and how we're already prepared and capable of responding to any type of natural, man-made yeah. pandemic situation. And I, I mean, I was in Mississippi at their PCA. I saw Delta Health Center, the beginning of our That's movement right. in 1965 right. with John Fairman. Right. He talked about how a tornado right. had impacted one of his health centers and, and many of his staff and, and, and how they reacted. And, and we're not only the first responder, but they're gonna be the last, they're not leaving that community. I talked to John Vass in Maui um, mm. right after the Maui wildfires yeah, and sure. talked about the, the impact that, you know, that, that wildfire had on his community and the people he serves. You know, he's there, he's not going anywhere. Right. You know, and he talked about how a lot of people came right away. Yep. But other, knows, other health centers came right away. Other health centers, all the Hawaii other Hawaii, the yeah. health centers came together. Yep. But my point is that we are perfectly situated to be emergency responders uh, and prepared and supporting recovery. And, but we do have to partner with the public health system. Often when people say public health system, they're meaning governmental public health. So state health departments, local health departments, they will all, you know, I'm, I just talked to Mandy Cohen uh, a couple weeks ago and we're gonna have a big meeting with her team in Atlanta um, next month. And you know she's very clear that she knows that community health centers are, right. are a key part of our public health system. Mm -hmm. And she has a lot of confidence in not only what they did in the pandemic, but what they could do in other areas of public health. So the beauty of our movement is that we start with primary care, but we've integrated public health. We've integrated behavioral health. Mm -hmm. We've integrated oral health. We've integrated social health. We've looked at the needs of a community and partner with all those diverse stakeholders to deliver those services, one patient at a time, mm -hmm. one population at a time, one community at a time, and now one nation. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great, that's a great. Well, and part of this, and uh, you're giving me PTSD remembering back to the <laughs> early days of the COVID pandemic, part of getting ready for the next time, uh, and I think this time we would actually know we had it, was we could turn right to our own staff, and it was probably eight days right. from the beginning to when we're out there and you know the number one group of people on those front lines giving vaccines were our dentists and our hygienists because right. they couldn't uh, be practicing dentistry at the time. Our nursing staff rallied. Uh, anybody with a license pretty much was out there and we trained the veterinarians and others who uh, the state health department and our national guard allowed to give vaccine. Our national guard partners yeah. showed up. So we know that there's uh, and many people say it was the single most uh, significant time in their career in terms of really feeling like they were right there. But we've gotta be thinking about the people coming behind us and we think about the mental health crisis, how many more mental health workers we're gonna need. They all need training. What's going on on Capitol Hill that's gonna significantly increase the ability of health centers to, as we were speaking a few moments ago, really become these centers of training and education because it's gotta happen. You just did a survey at NAC, right? And 
uh, health centers having huge workforce issues, lost uh, nurses disproportionately as people were trying to respond to the needs for help anywhere. What, what's happening on Capitol Hill with this? So we, at, my, at the primary care association meetings, I showcased what I would call a collaborative, um, evolving strategy on primary care workforce with three focus areas. One is recruitment, number two is retention, number three is reform. So, um, and I, it's been very helpful to get feedback uh -huh. um, from primary care associations, community health centers, in terms of their thoughts. I think it highlights um, our strategy. Uh, in recruitment, I'll start. Um, there's no question that when you look at the workforce, I just talked to Jim McRae the other, the other day, we have a monthly dinner with Luis and Jim, and we looked at the current workforce. We have over 300,000 employed. For 31 and a half million Americans, for 1,000 patients, there's a team of 10. Mm -hmm. That team of 10 is generally what I would call, it's football season, so I think of you know a quarterback. <laughs> there's generally a, yeah. a primary care clinician, whether it's a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, or often you know, a physician. Mm -hmm. They're the quarterback. Um, they have typically nurses and medical assistants that, might, like my mom, are the heart of so much of what healthcare is about mm -hmm. and how it's delivered. Um, then there's you know, behavioral health, there's oral health, there's social health, there's mm -hmm. community health workers, there's the frontline staff that I view them as the blockers. Yep. You know, the, the call center staff, the- Facilitators, the facilita maybe not the blockers. Well, that was, that's the football term. Well, the football using. term is the blockers are very appreciated. They're often I'm just under, making it clear we, they yeah, weren't yeah, blocking so, no, no, there was a, Yeah, the, the line is really yeah. important. Yeah. Um, in sports, you know, they're, they're often not typically, they don't have their name in lights, but they're, they're the core part, yeah. the security staff, the facility staff. You know, they're typically, out of those 10 people, there's five folks who are focused yeah. on, on making sure things sure. operate and everything. Sure. So we have to recruit those people, but I will tell you, as I was talking to Jim, we were focusing on where do we need to go. There are areas that I'm hearing like mental health, yes. oral health, social health, community health workers, folks yeah. are saying we need more staff in these areas. So we're gonna have to think about the balance yeah. of recruitment in the future. Um, not only on Capitol Hill, but I'm gonna highlight this. This isn't just about Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. This is about us as a movement and about all the other stakeholders in the health ecosystem in making sure we have the resources to, to fund the staff of tomorrow, the, the workforce of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Retention is incredibly important, as I keep emphasizing. In the movement to value-based care, there's a lot of competitors who would like our wonderful Absolutely. staff that yeah. represent the people we serve and represent the American population. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna have to do more than just bleed mission to retain them, we're gonna have to be very sophisticated in our strategies to retain our staff. A lot of the workforce of today and tomorrow, it's, it's, it's not about our history, it's about, you know, how are you gonna help me have good work-life balance? Yeah. How are you gonna help me make as much as I can make down the street at a, at a, at a, at a One Medical or at a um, Oak Street or at a Village MD? Mm -hmm. Um, am I going to have you know the ability to do these other things and beyond see patients? Mm -hmm. How are we going to fund those things? Mm -hmm. So retention is going to be a lot more um, different than we've done in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and then reform, I, I emphasize the simplicity of reform is if only five to seven cents on the dollar is spent on primary care, we need to work with Sean Martin, AFP, Primary Care for America, mm -hmm. 
if, if our core competency and our core mission is only getting a nickel on every dollar spent in healthcare, then we have to advocate for that nickel to become a quarter. Yeah. And that requires us to ask some bold questions, get in the rooms where a lot of these decisions are being made, and advocate for more funding for primary care, not only for the largest primary care system, but for all of primary yeah. care, no the matter where primary care is. spend that the NASM report yeah. is putting yes. so much focus yeah. on. That's great. Dr. Reed, we really want to thank you for joining us. Also, thanks to our audience, and be sure to go online to chcradio.com, sign up for the email updates, and we'd love to have you share your thoughts and comments about this program. Dr. Reed, thank you so much thank for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Today. Thank you so much for everything you're doing for this movement. Thank great. you. That's great. All of you. This copyrighted program is produced by Conversations on Healthcare and cannot be reproduced or retransmitted in whole or in part without the express written consent from Community Health Center, Inc. The views expressed by guests are their own and they do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Conversations on Healthcare or its affiliated entities.